and welcome to episode 107 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, I had something. I had something that wasn't like about weather or about food, and I forgot what it was. I had like this whole thing lined up where I was like, I can, I can make Dave happy with me. He won't, he won't be upset at my, my boring intro. I'm never upset about it ever. (laughs) (laughs) Just disappointed. Yeah. Just disappointed. Yeah. How are you doing, man? It's good to see you. Great to see you too. Had a lot of fun in your stream earlier today. That was fun. That was a good stream. Uh, So what I did is I, I just streamed my episode prep basically like i had looked at the spoilers but i was looking at the rest of the spoilers and it was just like let's just do a lot let's just do a live and then uh everett aspiring spike gave me a raid he was he seemed so excited to give me the raid he was like oh shane's finally streaming when i'm when i'm finished when i'm finishing like 400 people just dropped in to be instantly disappointed yeah to be like what they say he's not even playing magic who is this <laughs> what are Shane these lukewarm bleeps? takes on things like Tyvar Kell. God, he just <laughs> talked about how Tyvar Kell was bad for like 30 minutes. Why did he do that? The best part of the stream, though, is uh, Stan, you got to cash in your Dive Down Nation bucks, my channel points, on a bad deck tech. Oh, I saved up 10,000 bucks. It's it had to have been more than a month now of me sitting through your friggin' stream. I know, I'm sorry. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. What was the deck tech? So it was one of his recent like Lotus Field, uh, Blood Sun, Jeskai things. Um, but it's a bad deck tech. So you know, just have some fun with it. Mm-hmm. It's it was really good. I clipped it. You should you should just check out Chain's vods to to see that moment. Yeah, that one that one's up. That one's I'm not deleting that one. Also with us, the Godfather, Dave Harberger. Should should we make a little announcement about next week? Given oh yeah, yeah. let's do it. Go ahead, Shane. This is me. I'm I'm the Godfather, but also okay, so oh, oh so next next week we're gonna have aspiring Spike on. That's the announcement. Yes, that's the announcement. Okay, yeah, yeah. So we'll have him back on. It's been a few months. It's been sad. We haven't been able to get Everett back on. But it's always awesome to have his takes about uh, spoiler season cards. So uh, we'll have we'll have him on next week. Please please still listen to this episode to hear our bad takes, and then you'll hear some good takes next week. Everett will tell us how our takes were wrong. Yeah, he'll be like, "Have you looked at this card called Omnath?" Omnath. Yeah. <laughs> Should we hedge our bets and be like, Everett is currently scheduled, but unforeseen circumstances can and sometimes do happen. For sure. I'll just pretend to be him. That's our plan. That's also good. On this week's episode, we look at what might be the most broken cards to come out so far in calendar year 2021. It's our first batch of picks to click in the latest magic set, Caltime, the heavy metal Viking winter god and tree world. We also have a quick breakdown to warm us up, a new installment of everyone's favorite segment, Cool Decks Inc. But before all that, guys, can we do a little housekeeping? Sure. Uh, let me let me take this part because we got some new patrons today, and I think they came in primarily through Aspiring Spike Stream after the raid. So welcome to Adam L and Double Wave, and along with these new citizens of the nation, we have uh, some increased tier citizens. Uh, e Partlow, I think I think that's too obvious. That's way too obvious. Let's say Emma P. Emma P. Okay, Emma P. She's involved in content creation of some sort. Uh, that's Emma. That's Emma Partlow. She writes for TCG Player and does the podcast Budget Magic. You should listen to it. Longtime friend. Thank you, Emma. 
also increased tiers. Uh, Tyga S and Bob P. Bob P. You're you're something else. You're a true citizen. Bob, what do you want from us? Do you want me to quit my job and, and come work for you? I'll do that. Just hire us. Um, we, we don't have any new reviews this week. We haven't had any new reviews for a few weeks. So if if you are into us and you haven't yet, uh, throw us a review on Apple Podcasts. I think you can review us other places if you try really hard. Um, but yeah, go for it. You might be able to review us on Spotify. I, I feel like I heard that call to action over on Faithless Brewing. So we should probably start saying that too. Oh, yeah. I mean, Spotify is a significant portion of our listenership at this point. So go for it there if you're a Spotify user. That's right. And so if you want to join the Dive Down Nation, you can find us at patreon.com slash the dive down, where uh, just a single dollar an episode will get you access to our wonderful user community on slack and then there's other tiers up from there you've probably heard this before go check it out if you feel like it and we thank you for your support if you want to support the dive down while playing magic the gathering on moto you can check out manatraders.com it's the rental service we've been using i just realized that i think my two-year anniversary with manatraders was a couple of weeks ago maybe a little more than a couple of weeks ago because i started it before the show so it's been over two years since i started using manatraders um i think it's a great way to get decks to play modern. And what do you have to show for that, Dave, in, in, in those two plus years? What have I you mean, accomplished? I, I got two trophies <laughs> back in 2019 when things were easier. Uh, I got a Mana Traders tourney day two and a lot of enjoyment of playing random decks throughout the throughout the years it's amazing uh and so if you want to check mana traders out and you haven't done it yet you can enter code the dive down to get 15 percent off your first three months of rentals manatraders.com get better at magic is what i think their tagline is be a better player also if you play magic arena and you want to track your performance in the ladder Check out the Untapped Arena Companion software. It's free to download, free to use. You can find that over at untapped.thedivedown.com. If you follow that link and download that software, we get a little bit of kickback. You support the show. You don't even have to spend any money. It's pretty good. We we use it in earnest. I think that's a genuine endorsement. Yes, absolutely. These are all genuine endorsements. We endorse our, our nation, our rental service, and our monitoring stat service. <laughs> <laughs> the creepy thing that lives in our system tray. The thing that worries me a little bit. All right. So we're going to get deep into spoilers here in a minute, but as a little aperitif, not aperitif, a little amuse-bouche before we get in here, we're going to have some chill gazpacho-y temperature decks on an installment of Cool Decks Inc. We're having, we're having a lot of cool themed things today. It's a cold world. They're cool decks. Stan's going to take you through it. He's a cool guy. I'm drinking an iced tea. So, people of the world, as our beloved Magic metagame winds down in the waning days before a new set comes out, which will surely redefine the way we play our favorite non-rotating formats, let's bid farewell to the Zendikar Rising season with a look at some of the more creative and unexpected decks to come out of MTGO results over the last week. It's cool deck sync time, starting with a deck that made top 8 in Saturday's Modern Challenge by esteemed Magic competitor, TSB Tendrick. And that is Bant Stoneblade. What? Bant Stoneblade? What's cool about that? Right? Stoneforge Mystic. I mean, that still sees some play, even though it's not really a card that appears in blue-based control decks all that often these days. At least as long as Uro Piles is a deck, which this deck does feature three Uros. Also, I was excited to see that Icefang Coatl made a brief comeback in this deck. When was the last time you guys saw that card? Don't answer. To be honest... <laughs> 
<laughs> to be honest, the only reason I'm calling out this deck is because of a singleton copy of a certain creature in the main called Niambi Esteemed Speaker. Wow. Okay. Let's talk about it. I don't think we've ever talked about this card. I don't think we even addressed it when Core 21 came out. I feel like we might have, but... I don't know. Niambi is a 2-mana two 2-1. Two cost a white and a blue. It's got flash, and it reads, When Niambi enters the battlefield, you may return another target creature you control to its owner's hand. If you do, you gain life equal to that creature's CMC. And it also has an ability of... One white, blue, tap, discard a legendary card, draw two cards. So the fact that this is just a a one-of makes it a convenient way to get a little extra card advantage along with every other creature in this deck. So you can replay an Uro just to gain a ton of life, or Ice Fangs for more cantrips, Stone Forge for more equipment. I love it. It's such a spicy little include. So really, this is more like Cool Cards Inc. (laughs) Why not? Definitely a card I have was curious if it might ever pick up somewhere. It seems like it does a lot. Um, yeah, being able to protect a card is cool. Cool deck, cool card. You know, my favorite thing about looking at these decks now is that Goldfish seems to, for some reason, use the arena art for Teferi 5. It's like you hover over it and you get the weird computer art instead of the card art. At least I do. Oh, you get the full the full screen yeah, I get, I get like the full art. The, the Ravnica, Gills of Ravnica or whatever. With the, yeah, with like the Serif font. Wow, lovely. Okay, anyway. people love fonts on stream. Yeah, that's my that's my cool story, bro. All right. All right, I got another deck for you guys. Please. You may have heard of this one. I don't think we ever talked about it. It's Boros Land Destruction. I saw this list as well, and if you didn't list it, I was gonna. So I'm glad you did. Yeah, it finished in 15th place of the Saturday challenge by a pilot known as Ice Nine. So this deck was covered in a way on a previous episode of Faithless Looting. Though, if like I can't remember if Cave Dan and company designed the deck or merely tested it, but I don't think the dive down has talked about boom bust yet. I mean, we've mentioned being annoyed by it. Like we talked about on episode 100. Yeah, there was there was a re- there was a Boros land destruction boom bow stack in our hot one hundred list for sure that we spent approximately three seconds on. So glad to talk about it a little bit more right now. And I will say there is a lot of cool cars in here. Yes, there are. So boom bust. It's one of those um, split cards that's got two cards side by side on one, and you just choose which one to cast. Um, you're really, as far as I'm concerned, probably only ever casting the boom side, which is one in a red for a sorcery, destroy target land you control and target land you don't control. So can you target cascading cataracts with this? And then it's like, haha, I'm indestructible. You can. Oh, that sounds good. Can you target flagstones of Trocare with this and then be like, haha, Trocare, do your thing. It doesn't have Shroud, last I looked. Can we talk about how Flagstones of Trocare has just become, like, suddenly a staple of the format again? I mean, it's always been around in various ways, but there are so many decks running it right now for different little advantages. Interesting to see it happen to widespread, widespread acclaim. Yeah, I think in theory you can also target a fetch land, though this particular deck doesn't have any fetches. Hmm. Wild. So the goal of this deck is is to make the boom side good for the reasons we listed, but it also runs a total of 12 land destruction cards along with stone rain, molten rain and pillage along with a bunch of control cards, which in this case is lightning bolt, oost and mana tithe. 
It's also got some enchantment-based prison pieces, namely Suppression Field and Ghostly Prison. And the deck only runs four creatures. Two Magus of the Tabernacle and two Goblin Dark Dwellers, which I believe ends up being your win condition. You guys tell me the the stats on Magus of the Tabernacle. You know that, sure. that PT? <laughs> yeah. From memory. From memory. Yeah, it's uh, two six. I'm already hovering over <laughs> it's it. It's a two six. <laughs> two six. That is, that's a tough Magus. That's a tough butt. He's wearing armor. Yeah, and that's it. There's no Planeswalkers in this deck. There's nothing else. It's really just couple of bolts and a couple of creatures yeah this these type of decks are so frustrating to play against because like i said in episode 100 it's like okay i'm gonna chip away at all your lands with all these land land destruction spells or i might mana tithe your spells i'll bolt your stuff and then even if you get any kind of battlefield presence whatsoever i'm gonna have some ghostly prisons on the battlefield of some suppression fields to stop other things you're trying to do it's brutal I wonder how long it takes for this deck to win a game. Is it turn 15? It's whenever the opponent decides to concede. Yeah. So the thing that I liked about this particular entry on Goldfish is that Ice Nine is the only pilot of this deck in Goldfish currently across multiple challenges, a prelim, and a modern league dump. So good on you, Ice Nine. Wow. All right, last one. This is either a meme or Exhibit A in our case against some of the most broken cards of 2020, last year. And that is four-color Lutri. Yes, Lutri, which went 3-1 in a modern prelim on January 6th in the hands of Bill Sive. Which one is Lutri? Lutri the Spell Chaser? Yeah. Wow. Lutri the Spell Chaser. It's, it's the three CMC companion that stipulates you can only have one copy of a non-land card in your deck. Three mana, three two with flash. It costs one. Is it? Is it hybrid mana? And when it ETBs, you can copy target instant or sorcery spell. So not surprisingly, the deck's got twenty one instants and sorceries. So far, so good. You got to have many to meet the stipulation. But how did this deck go three one in a prelim? Well, it has four creatures, and those are Uro, Omnath, and Primeval Titan. <laughs> okay, that sounds. That's only three. That's only three. Oh, there's also a Snapcaster Mage. Oh, okay. That they probably put in by accident. <sighs> the deck also has six Planeswalkers. I mean, we're not done with broken cards just yet. We've got um, three Mana Teferi. We've got five Mana Teferi. Jace the Mind Sculptor, Renan Six, Narset, Nahiri the uh, Harbarger, which is now $1.50. Oh, man. I paid so much for that card when it came out. Should I list all the individual main deck Instance and sorcery spells and sideboard cards too. Yeah, please. I mean, I th- I imagine you have a list of highlights here. What do you got? We got flame slash, explore, is a charm, fire spout. <clears throat> Stan, I'm gonna cut you off. Um, gonna cut you off here because that's a lot of spells. I think on this list, you just you just kept listing one ofs. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. So there you have it. I I think we saved the best for last of this installment of Cool Decks Inc. If you need to spike a modern tournament in the last days of this format, I think four color Lutri is without a doubt the most broken thing you can do with a 75 singleton deck. I, I got to throw one more thing in here that you didn't mention. Did you see what the last card in the sideboard is? Yeah. Wrath of it's God. A, no, or it's Emrakul no. a- the Aeon's Torn. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's for Mill. <laughs> uh, I think that's to search up with Nahiri the Harbinger, yes. which oh, is yeah. maybe oh, yeah. the most amazing thing I've ever seen. It's like, that's so sweet. I, for this game, we're going to bring in Emrakul. <laughs> to search up with the hairy sweet you can also bring it in against mill 
Yes, you you might be right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we got some cooler cards to talk about now. Uh, but thank you, Stan, for doing this selection around the modern metagame for us this week. And I definitely think that there were things in here to uh, to look up and check out the show notes if you want to see the links to the decks and stay with us. And we're back. Spoiler season is awesome. It's like it's that, you know, we get to wait for that drip drip feed of new cards that's gonna bring us new options for new decks and hopefully not blow up a few non-rotating formats or or rotating ones even and now we cover three formats modern pioneer historic and that's really good for us during spoiler season gives us a lot more cards to look at in different ways a lot more cards to discuss during these episodes it gives us a lot more cards to go maybe maybe (laughs) maybe Hold on, hold on. Maybe. And to argue with each other, not maybe. And the other one goes, maybe? Maybe. Do you guys actually know what's going on Pioneer right now? I think a lot of the same. A lot of the same decks still doing the same things. Yeah, that's true. Last I looked. I'm not going to lie. I don't. Sorry. All right. Well, we we ostensibly and theoretically cover Pioneer when it matters to people. Um, You know, we know breaking into modern isn't always easy, right? But being in consideration for modern, being, I mean, being in consideration for pioneer or being in consideration for historic, that's a pretty, it's a lower bar to have to jump. Do you jump over the bar? Do you jump over the hurdle? Do you limbo under the bar? You clear that you clear the bar. Okay. Clear it. Yeah. So you get a Clorox wipe or maybe like a, like one of those disposable, those magic erasers and you clear the bar. Okay. Got it. So what we're going to do, is uh, the first of two episodes. Talk about the spoilers that have come out. This episode up until today, Monday the 11th, and I think we might actually be talking about one or two of the cards that actually got spoiled today. But first, what we think we should do is go over, or at least what I think we should do, is go over the new and returning mechanics that are showing up in Kaldheim because that informs a lot of our future discussion. And so... Yeah, I just got to say one thing before we get in here. This is going to be the first one of these that we've done with the live chat. And I'm going to be trying very hard to not watch everybody else's yes. takes come in as we give our thoughts on these cards. So listeners, please bear with us. But if you'd like to come and hang out when we're recording Monday nights around 8 p.m. Central, the dive down underscore Shane on twitch.tv. I love you guys yep. in the chat, but I will not be watching what you have to say while we're talking about these. Yeah, there's gonna be so many things where like, you forgot about this. I was like, well, you're right, but it's a little too late. Exactly. Okay, we, we do like to talk about the, the mechanics on these these spoiler episodes because like Shane said, they set a lot of context. There are some mechanics that are more potentially breakable than others, and I think that's just an interesting way to give context at the beginning of the set. So let's do it. We're gonna start with the first one first. Shane? Oh man, Fortel. This is this is like the least Shane mechanic. Um, so Fortel works. It's the cost t- to foretell something is always two generic mana. And you can do this anytime during your turn. So anytime, which is interesting. It gives you some potential timing options you can employ. Largely, I don't think it's going to be that weird, but something you can pay attention to. And on but only on your turn means you can't like keep up mana for some kind of interaction on your opponent's turn and then like foretell a card if they don't do anything. So when you say anytime on your turn, if the foretell card is a sorcery, you can still foretell at instant speed on your turn? Yes, you can like end step it if you wanted to for some reason. 
Correct. Now, to be clear, foretell means exile it. Right. Right. Yes. Or or exile face down. Yeah. Yes. I got kind of I kind of missed the important part, which is so what foretelling is is you pay two generic mana, two mana of any color, exile the card from your hand face down, and then you can then cast it on a later turn for its foretell cost. And we'll talk about some examples of those in this episode. Um, I guess some important things that are also worth mentioning is you can't unexile, you can't like cast the foretold card on the same turn, like in case it's cheaper than the face value, like the actual upper right hand CMC, you have to do it on the next turn because you're foretelling it. So the flavor is that you are thinking it's going to happen in the future. Timing rules still apply. So while you can foretell at any point in your turn, creatures and sorceries don't suddenly become instants. They don't get flash. So what is foretell trying to do, do you think? Like what's kind of the the goal of the mechanic? How can you possibly use the mechanic? I mean, I when I read this, the first thing I thought was that this is a mana smoothing mechanic more than anything else it's a way to mitigate having bad opening hands letting you pay in installments so that if you don't have something to do on turn two or you don't have something to fill in your curve you can get to a point where you can likely play the card on a future term even if you're mana screwed essentially yeah that seems like the number one reason that this mechanic exists but what did what did you all think yeah it's it's kind of when I look at when I look at card design lately or mechanic design in a lot of ways, I see it as doing two things. One is like you is like what you said, Dave, is reducing the amount of non games. And I think the big reason for that is that so much is happening in best of one right now. So like mm-hmm. this is this is like a limited player's dream, right? Especially in best of one, where it's like, hey, I'm if 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 the the ranked the ranked ladder on draft, I think, is all best of one, right? Like you can't rank up in best of three draft, or can you now? So when you play best of one draft or you play best of one constructed, you don't want to have non-games, and Watsi doesn't want people to have non-games. So they keep employing more options for people to cast cards on different parts of their curve. Like they can pay two mana to get this on the board, like you said, or maybe if it's a modal double face card, which are back in the set, then that's something that you can cast the cheaper side or the more expensive side. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't read. I mean, I do think some of this is motivated by the advent of best of one as a popular way to play magic. But I also think that there's just a general vibe in magic lately where they want to make less non games, regardless of how you're yes. playing. Yeah, and I mean that's the, the same thing applies in best of three for sure. Yeah. Now here's the weird thing about this mechanic. I think this mechanic is powerful, but also not powerful at the same time. It's it's kind of strange, I think, because the ability to take a discount sometimes on the total cost of a spell by playing in installments could be really huge. But you also trade time for that sometimes for zero effect, and so it's it's I think it's really subtle what's good or what's bad about this uh, particular mechanic. So in, in the installment plans, even ones that aren't necessarily mana advantageous, like most of these cards, you don't get a discount. It gives you something to do, like when you might want to, let's say, keep up cheaper interaction while getting a payoff in the future. So even though you're taking, like, let's say you take turn two off because you have to cast it on your turn and you put something like Behold the Multiverse, which is a card we'll talk about, down on turn two, then later you're able to use some of your more important turns to controlling decks are like turn three and turn four. 
right? And like turn three is like when you maybe use your your unconditional counter, like your absorb or your your can whatever cancel variant you're using or something like that in a format like uh, like historic or pioneer. Right. Then on turn four, you get a lot more optionality in your gameplay, right? Like you can say, I have this behold the multiverse where I can scry to draw to for two mana while also keeping up like my negates or my essence scatter or something like that. Or you can just foretell something else. And it's like you, so you have these options where it's like, okay, my early game is not the most important thing for me because I'm a control deck that can make up that initial disadvantage later on. And that, that install payment is, I think, much more beneficial for decks that want to play a longer game because you don't lose the tempo. Yeah, I mean, I do think there's two aspects of this, though, that are limiting factors to that. One is, I think that Fortel has a big cap on it. My gut is that Fortel has a big cap on it as far as modern goes, because that cost is always too generic. And yeah. so you, it's it's really tough, even if you're a reactive deck, to take off turn two for no effect yeah like you can find times to do that installment plan later maybe but it's really tough to do it early in the game and i think the fact that that uh exile cost is always two is a fixed cost actually limits the applicability of this specifically to a format that's as powerful as modern so the cards that make it that are foretell into modern have to be really really good and so that's one thing I'll be keeping an eye on there. I think there's a chance for it to make a make a splash in Historic and Pioneer right now because of what you were talking about with in Blue White and things like that. And in fact, with a few exceptions, it's tough for me to think of where else this card might go other than a React or these type of cards might go in Constructed other than in a reactive deck like that. Now, I have pulled a couple of other examples because some of these get really cheap. And as you can imagine, you know, when I look at spoilers, since I always look at one CMC spells on spoilers, looking at cards that have one cmc foretell cost is definitely something that's on my radar as i'm reviewing these the these cards all right next up we have uh, snow matters and various snow permanents and spells so snow is a returning super type found on lands instants i think you know i don't know all kinds of stuff creatures there's all kinds of stuff so it can be like a snow land like the basic snow covered islands or mountains or whatever they're back they're they are now in standard, historic, and pioneer when they were not before. Or even like a spell like Frostbite, which is sort of like this weird snow shock variance. Like if you have three or more snow permanents, it deals three damage to a creature or planeswalker instead of two for a single red mana. I'm personally not too excited about having snow put into pioneer and historic because as we know from modern like being forced to run snow basics over others is just kind of annoying but beyond that i mean everyone has that complaint i don't find the mechanic that interesting because it sort of constrains your deck building in a way that like you're hopefully saying like the payoff of the synergies is worth it so like that's the question of everything is like do i get enough out of the synergies to make the potential fail state worth it and that's like the question i sort of ask myself on all these cards and it's kind of like a mildly tedious question to keep asking myself and i don't know i think i'm just kind of anti-snow and i'm curious what you guys feel Nah, i pretty much agree with you i feel like there's almost no cards that are worth worth the trade-off um to the game and there's very few cards that are worth the power level you know, even in modern, if you look at the list, there's what there's like four cards. Um, you know, there's like dread of dread of winter or dead of winter. Yeah. Uh, Coatl, Scred, 
and maybe one or two others. So scrying sheets, scrying sheets, but scrying sheets is there because you need snow for scred. So it's a little bit of like back and forth there. So I don't know. Uh, I don't love it. I'm sure that it'll make a little bit of an impact in different ways, but um, there would have to be, again, a really good payoff to make it worthwhile in something even like historic. I do think we got one of those payoffs today. We may or may not have time to talk about it today, but it's something to think about. Stan, what's your take on snow? You're less of a grump than at least me. Oh, I actually agree with both of you. I don't love it. It's one of those things that it it doesn't add much to the game except for like ha-has and confusion. And it's like, you know, once upon a time we had Riley Knight on the pod and and he said that he hates snow because it's always prudent to have snow basics just to force your opponents to wonder what kind of snow payoffs you have even if you don't have any and yeah. and it's just like that unnecessary one-upsmanship i think is the kind of thing that just makes the game a little more complicated and a little less fun in an unnecessary way and then like if you do find a situation where the snow payoff is worth it then maybe it's like too strong or they're nervous about it being too strong so they overcorrect and all the snow cards are underpowered and then why do them in the first place exactly yeah all right that's enough about snow it's getting cold tell me about boast it's the weird raid weird raid (laughs) so a boast ability is an activated ability that can be activated once a turn but only if the creature that has the ability has attacked that turn so boast abilities can be activated during combat or even after combat basically any time in the turn after the creature was declared as an attacker and unfortunately this means a creature entering the battlefield attacking won't allow it to boast so you can't boast those Winota cards. Mm, good note there. Yeah, I mean, like stuff like this doesn't typically make the constructed cut too often. And that's mostly because having to attack is kind of a bad floor. It's like a bad default to have to use to activate or to trigger or to allow you to use the activated ability at all. It's kind of nice that you can activate it before the creature would potentially die, however. Like... Varagoth, Blood Sky Sire. This is a card we'll probably talk about uh, next week because we kind of overlooked it this week, but I think it's pretty cool. Oh, I'm going to talk about it now real quick. Okay, let's talk about it. So Varagoth, Blood Sky Sire, good example and a good card, I think. Two and a black. Legendary Demon Rogue 2-3 Death Touch. And its boast ability is one and a black. Target player searches their library for a card, then shuffles their library and puts the card on top of it. So this is a fairly reasonable cost, for a, what is that? Is it a vamp? It's not a vampiric. Is it, what, is, what kind of tutor is that? I mean, vampiric tutor is search and put on top. Yeah. Okay, cool. There we go. I thought it had, I thought like vampiric indicated some kind of life loss to me. It, there is life loss, but it's also that cycle of tutors. Yeah. Got it. All right. Got it. So this is a card that when it attacks, you can pay two mana. You probably have, you know, let's say three or four by the turn that you're, you're attacking it with. Um, even if the opponent blocks, it has death touch. So that's kind of nice. So it can it can trade up nicely. It does have three toughness. So like maybe some smaller creatures uh, won't be able to block it very well. And, you know, the opponent has incentive to get this off the board because they don't want you tutoring multiple things. It's definitely a kind of a card where I can see, you know, you have something a little bit further up the curve. You're casting this on three. You're going to be attacking on four. Maybe you get that Kalidus. You know, like that, that card that really turns the game around for you. Like in, let's say you're playing mono black aggro and pioneer for some reason still, right? And you really want one of those two Kalidas that you have on the board and this gets it for you and that can win a game. Mm-hmm. 
I think you're totally right. And I actually think that I'm not going to talk more about Varagoth because I feel like you kind of covered it. It just seems like a card that's a reasonable value. Obviously, putting the card on top of the deck is not as powerful as in your hand, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The card would be broken if it did that. Um, but I think that Boast has a good amount of potential, especially now at this point, since we haven't seen all the cards to have a really powerful card get through because the cost varies and the scale of the effect can vary so much in a way that I was you know, hinting before, Fortel can't really change because of that fixed two mana cost. This one, they might print one that has a boast for one that does something really powerful or a boast for two like this one that does something really powerful or even a bigger version. So I think there's some interesting stuff going on here as far as having an activated ability that goes onto aggro cards that are good in the early game as attackers and good as mana sinks late. So I think there's a lot of possibility for something like that to occur. Stan, any thoughts on boast? It's just not your jam. This is not my jam. And I, I haven't seen anything that I thought kind of like blew me away as an impressive build around yet, but maybe I'll be convinced otherwise this week or next. Yeah, I feel like... I can't think of too many mechanics like this that have sort of seen constructed staples to me. Like when raid was in cons, I don't remember a lot of cards that that were had raid that really you know became staples or anything like that. But it doesn't mean this can't. And I think like Dave said, like the most important thing is the boast cost is dynamic. So we'll yeah. see. It's just weird, you know, in a creature based attacking deck to hold up mana for effects when you're probably trying to hold up interaction or play tempo. So I feel like it's going to have to kind of thread that needle as, as trying to solve a problem that aggressive decks meant to turn creatures sideways would need to benefit from. Yes, but however, imagine the scenario where you are out of cards as a, let's say, a red deck. And you have mana, but you don't have cards in hand, and you get a boast guy that has a pretty decent effect on it. Spoilers, I'll be talking about a card that does something like this later. Um, but it's a good out, I think, to when you flood yeah. a little bit yeah. in that kind of scenario. So but that, That's basically what I'm on the lookout for, is just like trying to solve problems that aggressive decks might have. Yeah, exactly. Okay, last thing for now, I think. Oh, two more things. Three more things we have. All right, middle thing. Several, several more things to several discuss. Turns. Thankfully, we've already discussed them once and people know what they are. So we can just talk about how they're returning. All right. Next up is return of modal double face cards. They warned us that they were coming. They are, in fact, here. They aren't lands plus spells, which I think we're all happy about this time, given how broken those have turned out to be uh, as we oops our way through modern <laughs> right now. Yeah. But, you know, this is a good another kind of risk, like risk mitigation kind of card lets them vary the uh, casting cost, do a smaller effect on one side of a card for cheap. And then if you can save up for it, you draw late game, you can play the more powerful thing, lets them do some fun storytelling. I think that these ones I'm a little more okay with from what I've seen so far, just given what the two sides are, you know, cascading into a seven mana planeswalker aside. I think that um, these ones feel a bit more fair than the land ones to me. But other than that, I think this is a mechanic that, like Shane said, they're just using it to make there be less non-games, hopefully, and we'll see where it goes from here. You know, Wizards often says that they're going to bring something and have it be evergreen, and then it goes away. So let's see how long modal face cards stay around. Is that what they said, that this is going to be an evergreen mechanic for a while? I think they just said it's going to be around a lot. If I remember right, I don't think they said that it was going to be evergreen or in every set, but it's definitely something that they were going to use as a tool more often than they had in the past. Uh, cool. So what else we got coming back? Sagas. Sagas are back. 
saga. They do what Nintendo don't. So <laughs> these came out originally in Dominaria, and they've come out several times since then. These are enchantments that have multiple chapters, essentially to tell you how the story is going to play out of something that occurred within the flavor of the set. And when they enter the battlefield, they come down with a single lore counter, which causes the first chapter's ability to trigger. And then at the beginning of your subsequent main phases, you add a lore counter, which then triggers the next chapter in the saga. So eventually the story is complete meaning the last ability has resolved or otherwise leaves the stack and the saga gets sacrificed. And these are cards that historically do see constructed play. So it's not outside the realm of reason that, or the realm of possibility that we'll see another strong saga in this set. Cards like Elspeth Conquers Death is one that comes to mind as a, as a frequent player in Historic, for example. Yeah, I think these ones are tough to evaluate as a mechanic. And so you, they're really ones you have to evaluate one off. Of course, the best metric is always going to be if one of the stages of the saga, chapters of the saga, gets rid of one of your opponent's cards, it's a good place to start, right? Yes. Yes. All right. Treasures. Love them. Simple mechanic. It's a, it's a Lotus Petal token, right? <laughs> That's what it is. Get paid. Make mana. Exactly. I think they're great. I think that when you look for constructed cards here, it's all about cards that make treasure over and over again or cards that can fit into a combo deck, big turn deck, by the way that they deal out treasures or the way that they use treasures. Um, I think it's a mechanic that they've done a good job balancing at, to date. And so I don't feel like there's been anything that's been too scary broken with it so far, but there are a number of utility players that make treasure, especially in Pioneer Historic kind of level of power. And finally, unless anyone has anything else on treasures, nah. changelings. Somehow they're back too. Yeah, when was the last time we saw Changelings in Standard? I feel like it's been a while. It's been a while. Like not pre, I remember. pre-modern. Clueless. I'm completely clueless. Pre-modern, I mean, yeah, definitely they were in Lorewind. That's kind of where they got oh, started. okay. Never mind. And then I know that they've been printed one other time between now and then. Horizons. But I mean, you know, this mechanic is all about this, you know, Changelings are creatures that are all creature types. And so they help you, you know, they're generally really good as a limited mechanic where they're the glue between different tribal sets in a limited set that's something that can help there's also fun changeling themes i think the flavor is really good as far as like the uh the storytelling of this world goes is is interesting but uh it's for my other podcast what yeah the world tree my other podcast i was secretly hoping that one go, would go under by now i'm sorry it's getting stronger every day all right we, we went over these we're, we're 45 ish minutes into this podcast let's get into some cards yes that's why i zipped through those last few i hope everybody was okay with that all right more than okay okay this was this first card which is um it's a cycle and i think this was the first thing from spoilers that kind of made my eyes pop out of my skull like a cartoon coyote and these were the snow duels 10 of them one for each color combination and they're typed lands meaning that is it one is a mountain island now these are snow lands, like I said, but they always come in tapped unless you happen to have an amulet of vigor, which which some <laughs> decks do. Yeah, some <laughs> decks do. Some specific decks that we like to talk about sometimes but never play. Yeah, but but the, this is the first time we have seen snow duels ever printed in Magic. So in, in a way, this is uncharted territory. Yeah, fetchable snow duels. At, at Even common. though they, they, they come into play tapped, but... You know, it's still an interesting option. A lot of decks are already dealing quite fine 
with come into play tapped uh, typed lands. So, you know, what I'm, I don't know, snow control. Uh, I don't know. What do you like? They're, they're commons. Does that mean Watsy doesn't think they're going to be that great? I mean, these are dual lands that have no way to come in untapped other than Amulet of Vigor or other things like that. So I would say, yeah, I don't think Wizards printed these to be particularly powerful. I don't think that that means that they're not playable. I I do think it takes a certain really powerful payoff to make them work, especially in heroic, in, in non-fetch format. So in Pioneer and Historic, you know, you really need a good snow payoff to make it work. I don't know if I've seen one quite yet that makes these work for you, with the exception of one card that came out today. Um, but I think that it's a totally different story in modern because of the ability to kind of have a couple of these in your deck and pull them out with a fetch land at the end of your opponent's turn when you don't lose any tempo by that play. And specifically, I think that these cards make a change in four color Omnath or these Uro snow decks that used to be snow control, but now aren't snow control, but now could go back to being that in order just to play, honestly, really just to play one or two cards, mostly Ice Van Quaddle. Yeah, so you think snow's in the forecast in modern? <laughs> I'm foretelling snow coming in modern right now. Yeah, I just think it's one of those things where people are going to look at it and go, you know, the, the removal suite in four color Omnath is like, it's path and lightning bolt right now. I think that there's a good chance that in decks like this, it might be that Coatl is better in some quantity because it cantrips and you can do things with it with Cryptic Command as well. So they might switch to a mix of all of Path and Coatl, or maybe they go heavy Coatl. I imagine it really depends on the metagame. But being able to sneak in these cards to help enable a card as powerful as Coatl is where I think one of the main impacts we're going to see with these duels go is and they really only need to play you know they already play snow colored basics because they have field of the dead and so being able to to have another named card that's on plan to make coaddle good is is where i think we're going to end up here for the most part and then there'll probably be some other kind of snow payoff decks that do other things like red green scrad or something like that but yeah i i hope that we get to the point where snow is like an option for a deck like this. Like we already see some, like there's various options of Omnath style builds, right? Like of the Uro piles of the Omnath piles, where maybe it's a weird uh, Sahili combo variant or something. Or maybe it's a taking turns variant. And maybe there's like a snow variant that is just another way to build it. That isn't the de facto best way. I'd be fine with that. Yeah, I mean, I think it'll be flavor meta to taste. And who knows, it might even make Saltai become more of a thing again, where they want to run Dread of Winter or Dead of Winter and Coatl and that kind of stuff in that shell that we had talked about. But I definitely think it's more controly kind of stuff here in, in modern. But I do think these will see play. I just think it'll be a limited quantity and only to try to enable those two cards, basically. Sure. All right. So now we got a card I know Stan's excited to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, it's Tybalt's <laughs> Trickery. This is the card that I was like, can we please have this as close to the top of the episode as possible? Well, we're fresh. Yeah. We're not, we're not worn down. And I had the rest of the show notes in alphabetical order, other than Snowlands being first. And Stan was like, can we put T first? And I'm like, <laughs> T prime. It's an order. <sighs> That's okay. Yeah. I, I think you'll see why I was excited about this card. Uh, I think it's one that a lot of people are going to be talking about. All the kids at the... The, the recess schoolyard. That's right. Y'all see Tibalt's trickery? All right. So this is one in a red for an instant. And it reads counter target spell. 
And that's it. That's all the text on the card. The end. One in a red. Counter target spell. That's it. Do, do you think that would see play? I don't know. Who would want this? Just kidding. There is more text. Counter target spell. Choose one, two, or three at random. I choose three. <laughs> <laughs> How'd you come up with that, Shane? Randomly. Totally random. It's controller mills that many cards, then exiles cards from the top of their library until they exile a non-land card with a different name than the countered spell. They may cast that card without paying its mana cost. Then they put that exiled cards on the bottom of their library in a random order. Wow. Cool. Why not shuffle? If there was a card, (laughs) why not shuffle? Good question. I don't know. They they really don't want people shuffling ever anymore. But true. Yeah, I mean, this is a weird card, right? Like, like it do, it can. You're like, well, is this a red anti combo card or is this a janky combo enabler or a really good combo enabler? Who knows? I feel like it can be so many things, and that's kind of what's interesting about this card is that can it, it fit? It can fit into multiple roles. It can be main deckable in certain strategies. It can be a sideboard card for others, um, like a new style interaction for mono red strategies that are otherwise aggressive but you know need help answering like a muxus or uh a nissa who shakes the world yeah and then on the flip side there are people who want to use this to counter their own spell and get emrakul out right right which is kind of another way you can go with this whole thing that's kind of that's i mean that's the reason it exiles right i mean that's why it exiles the cards like when i first read this i was like well why does it have them mill a little bit and the answer is so you can't set up the top of your deck. Yeah, and but it's like if it's five people in the Slack in the in the chat told me today when I asked that question, right? But if it's the only non-land card with a different name, or or you know, oh, yeah. I guess it wouldn't be the only non-land card. Uh, yeah, I guess it's pretty hard to set up your own combo with it. But there's probably some way to do it, right? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's probably more. It's probably not worth the effort there's probably other ways to just do that combo like you know maybe you you polymorph your dwarf token and yeah. whatever you know what i mean your but normal stuff i think what stan was saying is is possibly more the intended use i i think that stan you're thinking you're thinking more broad application than i would like you're like well let's stop a nissi who shakes the world let's stop uh you know some other powerful value card i think this is like stop a oops, all spells going off. I think this is a oops, stop, uh, you know, some other, some other like single card combo type thing where it's like, I cast this spell and I win. And you're like, well, I have to stop you from casting this spell. Right. And I hope you don't have a pact of negation type thing, because that's going to buy me the turn or two I need in my aggressive red deck. Like we, I think in modern right now, we can probably say like, I think it's fair to say that most aggressive red decks can still be gotten under by some of the best combo decks in the format. And you're like, well, if I had one more turn, yeah. then I would have won. And this can buy you a couple turns. Like if you get that, if you tag that spell and they're just digging for the next version of the spell that they need, then you can probably win from that position. And that's all you might need is just a couple of these in your sideboard to shore up against a, a big combo meta. Yeah, I think it's totally true. I mean, the, the last thing I would say is I do think there might be some other edge casey kind of things in, you know, of course I have to talk about prowess. I like prowess, but like, imagine this is your tech card against combo out of your sideboard and prowess. And then you're like, well, it's time for me to try to go off. So I'm going to cast lava dart. Then I'm going to, then I'm going to cast 
Tibble's Trickery on my own Lava Dart. Then I'm going to mill until I get a spell. And then I'm going to cast Lava Dart out of my graveyard, the countered Lava Dart. And so you're just like stacking up. It's just another way to enable a whole bunch of spell triggers in that kind of scenario as well. And maybe it's even something you think about in like, probably not in Storm, but it's that type of thing where you're like stacking spell triggers. It's, it's funny you should mention Storm because I was thinking about Baral and this card as, as something that can potentially let you accrue a little extra value. And also, in a Jeskai build, if you have three mana to ferry out, this is just a hard counter spell that also mills a couple cards because that uh, free cast out of Exile gets stopped by Teferi, three mana Teferi static ability. Yeah. Maybe never sees play at all, but it's got a lot of text, and I think it has a lot of applications that um, we'll at least see people testing it out in the first you know, weeks of this new format or the first few weeks after the set comes out for sure. Lots of cool stuff. Okay. Alphabetical time, Dave, you can be happy. Oh, I'm so much happier now. Cause now I can just scroll down and look at the cards while we're talking. And if you want to look at uh, Scryfall with us and go to the top of the page, we'll go in alphabetical order. Now we won't go through every card, of course, but here we go. Alrund. God of the Cosmos is the first card we're going to talk about. There's so much text on this card, but I'm going to read it real fast, okay? Yep. Three blue blue, legendary creature god. Alrin gets plus one plus one for each card in your hand and each foretold card you own in exile. And then at the beginning of your end step, choose a card type, reveal the top two cards of your library, put all cards of the chosen type into your hand, and the rest is in your bottom of your library in any order, micro machines. Okay, so let's talk about these these new gods. Like yeah. These are not the indestructible gods that we have come to expect from Magic the Gathering. Right. These are, these are just like, here's your mythics of the set. These are your cavaliers, whatever. Yeah. The Norse gods, easy to kill. It's an interesting distinction between those and the Greek ones, for sure. The Greek-inspired ones, I should say. I was thinking about it right when we got online. How hard was it to design a different, quote-unquote, god of war in red <laughs> than Perforos? You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's weird for them to have to think about another pantheon of deities that is somewhat similar, but not the same. You, there's also another side to this card. Yes, and I suspect that other side is the reason why Dave put it on our list. Yeah, and the other side of this card is Haka, Whispering Raven, one blue, legendary Haka. Haka, legendary creature bird flying. Whenever Haka, Whispering Raven, deals combat damage to a player, return it to its owner's hand, then scry two. It's a two, three. Okay, interesting card. So you can cast it for two. You can have a two, three flyer. But if you deal combat damage, you have to put it back in your hand and scry two. So that's like an interesting way to sort of buy time to you can cast all ruined, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're you have something it can maybe block. It could you could deal two combat damage to a player and then scry, which isn't half bad, and recast it back out on a later turn, I guess. But are you are you casting this for the for the bird side or are you casting it for the god side? I mean, I think that you're playing this in a deck. And it has a lot of competition, but I don't think that this is a card that makes it in modern because I just think that there's much more powerful things to do all over the place in modern. But I could see in historic, if you're playing a grindy, like a a real like controly blue white control deck, you could get value out of either side of this card. You know, by the time you cast Alrund uh, towards the end of the game, it could be a it's probably an eight, eight, you know what I mean? And, and that's pretty good and not that easy to kill in historic. And otherwise you're dropping a Raven every once in a while and scrying. And I wouldn't put four of in my deck, but it might be a win, a win con you could use in a deck like that. 
Stan? Yeah, the interesting thing about Alrend is that it's templated almost like it's a foretell payoff, but I don't think that's going to be relevant that frequently unless there are good foretell cards, and it's mostly just going to get buffed by all the cards you have in hand. And if you're going to spend five mana on a creature that wants you to have cards in hand, that likely means it belongs in a control deck. So I, yeah. I, I think there's something weird going on with this card, and, and some of its design is almost at odds with the type of decks it would go into, because can Alrin exist in a deck with Wrath of God? I mean, yeah, you pick Haka up and Wrath and then and then cast Alrin after that. Like, That's legitimate. That's pretty good. Okay. I mean, I don't know. I, I think let's look at this even in like living the dream of maybe like it's a Thassa deck, right? Like, and you're blinking this with your Thassa and Mickey reminded me that you can, you could blink the bird side into the five mana all rune side because all rune is the front half right and i'm still like yeah it's a bad five mana creature like this creature sucks it draws <laughs> it draws one or two cards uh, no it potentially draws it one draws or two zero cards. one or two cards <laughs> yeah i think i think i think the text in the bottom is bad for like your five mana blue mythic and like i think there's a lot of times when this is like like a two two or like a three three not in blue not in a blue control deck if it's a two two or three two three three you're dead so yeah. like I think the floor is I think the floor is not great and I don't think the ceiling's very high. The floor is lava, the ceiling is made of grass. Do you think this could exist in like an ephemerate deck in modern where you're only casting the two mana side and then you're using like a ephemerate effect or that Azoria spirit whose name escapes me right now from Modern Horizons to to blink this and then get the god out because that deck can accrue card advantage. You could charming prince it. I'm gonna say no. No, I don't. I think I think all those cards are bad. All the cards that are in the soul herder deck are already better than this, unless you wanted to run it as a one of. All right, so I think we see this card borderline. It's a cool card. Let's let's move on. Okay, I'm hitting the bell. Ding. Ding. <laughs> all right, the next card I wanted to talk about very quickly, just to put on people's radars, is annul which is a single blue for an instant counter target artifact or enchantment spell. I just wanted to note that this card was not legal in historic until now. What about pioneer? Uh, actually it's in, it's in a pioneer set. I think actually, I think you're right. I think I've seen it in sideboards. It's in Theros. It's in original Theros. So, um, I just want to point out that it could help out with some tricky sideboard construction for certain decks that you want to have. If you want to have cards that are good against paradox engine and, auras i guess but just something to keep in mind it's a it's another specialist single blue counter spell people should know it's there it sees play in pauper quite often so just to have it on your radar thanks dave next spell we talked about for a minute is behold the multiverse do we want to talk about this more or oh you know i okay hold on okay we talked about what it does it's basically like a glimmer of genius split into two parts Three and a blue, instant, scry two, draw two. You can foretell it for two generic and then unfortell it for one and a blue, okay? This is one of the foretell cards that we have so far that I think has legs because I've seen, you know, freaking Glimmer of Genius cast from a blue control deck and that's a four mana scry two, draw two and splitting that cost into two halves in a deck that wants to use its mana and not tap out on like turn four is seems valuable to me. I mean, these aren't the decks I play a lot of, but it lets you, let's, let's, I mean, here's like an example, cash, like, you know, foretell it on two later on, on turn four, you cash in that foretell cost. And like I said, you know, you keep that negate, keep that Dovin's veto, keep that, uh, you know, absorb on turn five or something like that. And you have 
a lot more that you're able to keep doing while still advancing your game plan more actively than you normally would have been. Yeah, I think it's totally true in that context. I just don't think that that comes up all that much. Like, I think that this is definitely a replacement for Glimmer of Genius in the decks that run Glimmer of Genius, right? Like, yeah. that's just what it is because it's functionally better in most of those decks because many of them don't need energy. So, yeah, it is what it is. Occasionally, you'll be able to use the Fortel version. There's no downside to keeping it back as an instant, and, and that's just all it is. That's pretty niche. You know, I've fallen... I've done a lot of spoiler episodes with you guys where I've been like, check out this four mana instant speed divination and it like never gets there. So yeah. this is maybe the best one. Have fun with it. Do we know whether Baral or Goblin Electromancer make Fortel cheaper? It, like, well, the, the Fortel cost is always the same. The unforetelling, I don't see why it wouldn't because you're still casting an instant. Right, right. I, I, boy, oh boy chat save us i just mean on behold would baral make this a single blue mana yeah why not you're casting it that would be cool because i think in in a situation like that this could maybe have like implications for something like storm or is it phoenix too i think i'm surprised that i'm the one like advocating for like tempo and pacing of cards for a control deck uh and and you're kind of like ah i don't know we'll see dave but um i think that i think that it's i think it's quite good I, I, for historic and pioneer i think the issue shane is that like control decks don't just run draw cards anymore unless they also put lands on the battlefield you know what i mean like control doesn't care about opt these days as much as it used to and it needs to do something more it needs to make a shark token it needs to gain you three life and draw you a card yeah this in comparison to shark typhoon actually now that you bring it up is like it's a stark difference. It's like, yeah, ah, I don't think there's space for this. But I think when the fact that you're scrying and then drawing two, like, I think that's really powerful in some kind of engine that wants to draw a bunch of cards or cast a bunch of spells. But I agree with you that this is one of the best ones on rate. And we'll just have to see where it goes from here as far as foretell cards go. So since Shane has been serving us cards for our <laughs> decks. decks ish i would like to suggest a card for shane's deck mm. and be shot down and that card is currently called a dragon berserker which is one uh generic one red for a two two first striker that says boast abilities you activate cost one generic less to activate for each dragon you control and I'm then sure has, that matters that one that, that matters and then it has boast four colorless red create a five five red dragon creature token with flying stan okay. i said i was going to find a two two that had boast that did an ability that was a card for you to use late game. I didn't ask you to do that. I did it. I did it anyway. I'm like a cat bringing you dead, dead birds and leaving them at your house. Yeah. But when a cat I does didn't that, want these. Like when the cat does that, it's to tell us that we're next. Oh, is that what <laughs> it is? A yeah. Or a promise. You. I mean, I, maybe I'm seeing too much potential in boast or I want to find a place for it to work, but it does feel to me like this is a two drop that I don't feel bad top decking in a floody game with an aggressive red deck yeah the problem is it's a two, it's a two drop i feel bad drawing on two <laughs> <laughs> that seems worse it's not that bad though is it do you think a two two first striker is that bad okay i mean let's i've been i've played a lot of red and gruel in historic and like i even you were i think in the channel i was like reassessing my entire build of gruel for like this month's 
season. And then like one of the things we dithered over the most was the two drop spot. Mm-hmm. And that's because you have like, none of the options are real slam dunks. You've got like Galia, you've got Robber of the Rich, you've got Scooze, you've got like Voltaic Brawler. There's all strengths and weaknesses in different kind of metas that you think are out there. I'm not so sure that a two tier first strike without haste is good enough to warrant play even with this like potential cash in for a a late game dragon type thing, because it's like, you know, if I'm getting to the late game and I'm not flooding the board with collected company, if I'm getting to late game, I'm not casting an Ember cleave for like three or four mana. I don't know. Um, I just don't think that like a two, two first striker is enough with the creatures that we're seeing even in like, and that's, I'm saying even in historic or pioneer, but those are where all the creatures are being pushed in the more recent sets. And so we've got, you know, huge stat lines and this doesn't really kind of shape up with those. I think very well match up with them very well. Yeah. How about a deck that doesn't have access to green? Like just mono red. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't even know if mono red, like I think I'd rather have robber than this. Um, That's the big question for me is how you feel about this versus robber. You know, robber often gets you a card that you can play later. This gets you a threat that you can get access to later. So yeah, it's a tough one. I, I think that, I could be wrong, but this is like the kind of thing where it's like, like you said, it's, it's, it's better late game than a robber is potentially, but it also like, it has to survive and it ha- you have to have the mana to boast with it type thing. Like maybe there's some dragon synergies. Like if Zach was here still, I'm sure this would be like some card that he's, you know, he's really excited about because <laughs> he's like, I can have some, some dragon. I can have a Sarkin. I can have some other dragons to reduce my boast cost. And, but I don't know if that's the reality. All right. I got it. I'll, I can just build the deck on the fly real quick. Yeah, please do. Four of these, four Sprite Dragon, four Dragon Master Outcast, and then green mana for like Explorers, Growth Spiral. You put in some Uro because we're trying to build a good deck. <laughs> <laughs> and so you you rush out a bunch of lands, you make a bunch of free dragons with the Outcast, and then... Teamer Dragons. Yeah, and then you just have a Teamer Dragon deck. There Te- is that Teamer Sarkin. That's true. I don't Te- know what he does. Tier Imagine Dragons. All right, next up. Essica God of the Tree. We're going to talk about this real quick. This is a weird Modal card. Modal double-faced. Yeah. Modal weird. card. I kind of am hesitant to read the front, but I'm going to do it really fast. So, Essica, God of the Tree, one green green, legendary creature god, Vigilance, tap to add one mana of any color. And it also says, other legendary creatures you control have Vigilance and tap add one mana of any color. It's a one four. Now, the backside is the Prismatic Bridge, Wooburg, W-U-B, you know, it's one of every mana. You know that whole thing. <laughs> Wooberg. Uh, it's a legendary enchantment, and it says, at the beginning of your upkeep, reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a creature or planeswalker card. Put that card onto the battlefield and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. What is this card? Okay, so for all of these MDFCs, and this is going to be a recurring theme, I think we're going to have to measure them against how good it is it to try to cheat in the hard side using something like either Bring to Light or Bloodbraid Elf versus how good is the easy castable side as a fail state. So what, I, what I'm imagining, just for the sake of conversation, in a deck like Ponza, where you have Bloodbraid Elves, but you can also cast one GG on turn two, is this a good enough, you know, maybe turn two mana dork that like makes your Clothus also a mana dork that can sometimes be Bloodbraided out for your planar bridge? I don't have that answer, but I kind of think that's the question that needs to be tested because the ceiling is high if, if you can cheat out the Wooberg side. Yeah. I mean, the thing is yeah. you have to make sure you don't have a deck that's full of cards that aren't good to prismatic bridge into 
You know what I mean? So it's a, it's a tough balance for stuff like this because you, um, what do you run in this deck? You know, if you, if you're trying to do this, then you have a bunch of Essicas, right? And so you don't really want a prismatic bridge into those. So what else do you get in the creature and planeswalker side that you really, really want that still has a functional deck? Uro, Nissa, Ashiok. I mean, I guess you're pretty happy with a lot of those. So it, it really, in a way is just kind of like draw an extra card and play it in some some builds as well so maybe niv miss it is this card okay is the setup and execution of this card that much harder than like the ultimatum decks you know what i mean in terms of, it doesn't seem i mean it i seems feel like easier honestly in some yeah. ways meaning, meaning the ultimatum versus this no this seems easier in some ways just because it's five cmc instead of seven yeah I'm just trying to, I'm trying to figure out like, like a cost benefit analysis here. Like you said, Dave is like, what am I doing to execute this prismatic bridge game plan? And is that going to interfere with the payoff of actually getting prismatic bridge down? Totally true. I, and the other thing that I, I had kind of hinted at in terms of like cheating in the hard side, ephemerate effects do that as well. So we have all these cards now can, that can be snuck in potentially. And it's always going to be a matter of how good is the easy side versus the ceiling of the hard side but essica essica is the front of that card correct right but can't you can't you have essica on the board ephemerate and, and bring in the the bridge no essica is the front so the card is always essica i believe unless you cast the enchantment side yeah i don't think you can do that i think you can cascade into it but i don't think you i don't know if you can flip it i don't this is this is hard stuff yeah yeah, I hope I hope ever can answer a lot of these questions for us next week because I'm not doing the research. Yeah, I mean the card that you can use ha- with it. We're gonna have to issue so many corrections at the top of next week's episode. Yeah, the card that you can use with it is Release to the Wind, which is a, it exile. It's to you for an instant. It exiles target non-land permanent, and then for as long as that card remains exiled, you may cast it without paying its mana cost. So that's how you can flip it over stuff like that that lets you cast the other side. Thanks, Mickey, for the uh, yeah assistance yeah mickey's telling us that uh, you can't ephemerate into the bridge yeah yeah because the, the cards basically have a front side that is kind of like what the what what the game looks at as the card mm-hmm. normally right and, yeah. and bbe or btl that's what the trigger looks at right versus the game and that's why you're able to cheat in the other side yeah makes sense all right perfect sense Dan. <laughs> I, i'm just stringing right. words perfectly together. cromulent let me talk to this let's talk about this one i got another dragon okay that i like Goldspan dragons. Goldspan dragon. It's three generic red red creature dragon flying haste for a four four, and it says whenever Goldspan dragon attacks or becomes the target of a spell, create a treasure token. Treasures you control have sacrifice this artif- tap sacrifice this artifact. Add two mana of any one color. So I think that on rate this becomes. I think that this is pretty good on rate because if it dies, you have two mana left over, and if it lives, you have two mana left over, and you got an attack in. Now I don't know exactly where it fits, but you do always get two mana back either way out of playing a pretty decent threat against somebody. I mean, there's situations when you have one, which, which is that where they, it gets they blocked. Kill it, they, they kill it before you, they, you, they kill it before you go to attacks. No. What do you mean? Because you, when it, you didn't, you didn't go to attacks. Oh, because it becomes a target of a spell. Right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It became a target before attacks. That is difficult. You're right. Yeah. So then you only get one. Yeah. So here's, here's my issue with this card. And I'm, I'm curious if if you think I'm being too narrow-minded. What am, why do I care if I have more mana in my red deck? After I after I cast my five mana flyer, why do I want more red mana? Well, it depends. I care about I care about having more cards. Yeah. Or doing more damage. Yeah. So like, why do I care that I got a treasure token 
Or even if, why do I care if my treasure token is able to generate extra mana? All right, I got it. So you, you, once it hits the battlefield, it makes a treasure. And let's say... No, it has to attack to get a treasure. Oh. So it hits the battlefield, then you, then you attack with it, or it dies. So, all right, let's, let's look through this really quick. It hits the battlefield. Right. You immediately move to combat. Opponent, in response, tries to path it. Kill it. Yeah. Okay. Trigger on the stack, makes a treasure. You have that treasure before the path resolves, right? No, you don't. There's a window there for them to do something before they de- before you declare an attacker, and that's what Shane's yeah. talking about. So you, yes. it's the begin combat, but not declare attackers phase where they can play a removal spell against it, and you only get the trigger okay. off of the right. You only get the trigger off of the target of a spell. But but my question to you is: Can you cash in that single treasure for two mana before the removal spell resolves? If you have an instant spell, yeah, and and what's a two mana red? instant spell that can disrupt instant speed removal uh tybalt's trickery is that what you're <laughs> ding, talking ding, about ding. <laughs> right now we made we did it we made the deck watsy wanted us to see yeah dragon uh aggro control there's some sarkhan some uro yeah i don't know like i just i think the i think the the floor is not great i don't think it's i mean and more than that i don't think it's like an ability i really care about and i could be being too narrow-minded here but like at this point i want to even like a thunderbreak region effect where it's like hey you target this you take a damage do you know what i mean exactly i agree with shane i think i'd just rather play glory bringer in all in most scenario that's the hard part right is that yeah glory bringer is just better everywhere essentially this is like fa- it's like fancy card syndrome where it's like oh this looks cool but why like oh. do i do i care about any of this yeah all right i think you guys convinced me let's move on <laughs> what are we up next to uh kyle's kaya's onslaught is it another bad card that i want to talk about why is this all bad cards that i want to talk about every time i look at this card dave i'm like is this a card this looks like a card to me exactly I mean, I just, I, I just feel like this is a setup for some kind of, it's a single mana. All right. So let me read it. Kaya's Onslaught. Okay. Kaya's Onslaught. Two, two generic and a white instant target creature gets plus one plus one and gains double strike until end of turn. It has foretell white. So this is, I think I pulled this out just as a different example of a corner case I could see for a foretell card at some point. So I don't know if this is the right one. But I feel like this is one of those spells where like the post the foretell cost is right. It's a single mana. You might be able to to find time to use this as a as a a setup for a future turn where you're gonna play a bunch of spells. You know, giving something at double strike at instant speed for one mana seems pretty good to have around in a limited quality, but I'm not sold on it. And I, I think there's a chance that there's another one CMC foretell cost that would like even better than this one. But I still think there's a chance it might fit into something like to some kind of white aggressive deck that uh, wants to use this either to make a big turn or just to like have it around later in the game that doesn't have the ability to run something like Team or Battle Rage because it, say it's not in the format. I just wonder though if white aggressive decks want to spend turn two foretelling something exactly. when they could be curving out and using something like blossoming defense or dive down for their single mana instant speed tricks to protect their creatures from something. Yeah. I mean, that's my thing too, is like, when am I taking the, when am I taking the time to cast this spell or foretell this spell foretell the spell? Um, I will tell you yeah, that it's the not, is pretty interesting. I will tell you it's not uncommon in auras to get to the mid game and just have a huge amount of lands and not be able yeah, to have yeah. something to do with them. But this card doesn't synergize with that deck. You know what I mean? It's yeah. not an aura. It doesn't do anything like that. So there, I do feel like there are moments that are possible, like with a feather kind of scenario. Maybe there's some possibilities there as well. But 
it's expensive. Like there's no, there's no doubt that the, it's expensive on its own. Um, it just felt like this is something that is possible to me. I like in the art that Kaya is attacking that Frexian Praetor. Isn't that the oh, green yeah. Praetor? Yeah, it is pretty cool. Vorsen Klex or whatever. Yeah. yeah. We do not spend enough time talking about art and flavor text. And I think this is a story card. Well, I have a card. It is. It's a story spotlight card. Yeah. So Let's spotlight the story. So once upon a time, Kaya wrote a Praetor and stabbed it in the back. The end. Yep. All right. Next card. As we're zipping through bad cards that I like. Uh, Cole, the Forge Master. It's a red and a white for a 2-2 two, two uh-huh. legendary creature dwarf warrior. And it says, whenever another non-token creature you control dies, if it was enchanted or equipped, return it to its owner's hand. Creature tokens you control that are enchanted or equipped get plus one, plus one, and it is a 2-2. Two, two. And when I looked at this originally, I thought it was just something for value, like some sort of insurance policy and auras or you know maybe you use feather or something like that. But... Um, it was pointed out to me later after we talked about this card a little bit in the chat by Jason, uh, longtime friend Jason, that there are infinite combo possibilities here because of the the language where you uh, bring something back to your hand. For example, there's a card in Betrayers of Kamigawa called Shuko that gives plus one plus O and is one converted mana cost and costs zero to equip. So you can make an infinite loop from Cole, Shuko, Memnite, and a sack outlet like alter dementia to kill somebody with. There's also another backup here where you can use the card death render from Lorwyn, I believe with Mog fanatic or fanatical firebrand to be able to kill somebody over and over again. How quick can either of those combo kills be executed? Are we talking turn three? They're all really, they're all really cheap cards. Yeah. I'm not sure how fast they are, but um, it's pretty I just thought it was interesting that this card enabled some kind of actions like that. And definitely it's something I think brewers should like have on their radar as an engine card that's possible. So less convinced about it as a value card now and more just kind of like, hey, this card seems like breakable in some situation. Can we put this into hammer and ignore the token clause? <laughs> hmm. It's interesting. It's yeah, it's a good thing to like be aware of. This yes. is a novel effect. Yeah, I totally agree. All right. That's why you put it in the notes. Okay, speak another interesting card. This okay, so I just want to take a small break here. Talk about this set for like five seconds. This is a weird set. Yeah, <laughs> like this is like there there have been. This is a f- high flavor synergistic set in terms of like what it looks like. It's designed for limited, and then in the constructed end of things, I'm like, what the heck is going to happen? Like, what standard going to look like with any of these cards? Is it going to play any of these cards? Are our formats going to be impacted by any of these cards? Because we have a lot of maybes. We have a lot of uhs. We have a lot of, you know, oh, it fits somewhere. Or the, or this is cool. I think I have a lot of maybes and you guys have a lot of no freaking ways. That's how it's feeling right now. <laughs> I share that feeling, Dave. <laughs> you, have the feel, you share the feeling that we have a lot of no freaking ways? I concur. Yes. It, it kind of feels like an underpowered, underpowered Ikoria to me without like something as significant as either Triomes or uh, Companions to you know, really push the set over the limit, at least to date. And, and you know, we are recording this on Monday the 11th. We don't have the whole set yet. Yeah, I'm curious what they're sandbagging, perhaps. But let's talk about one of the Planeswalkers. I will though. tell you, I don't think that we are in the sandbag zone. Like, I feel like they generally give the powerful cards early. They try, they try to lead with a banger. I think so. Or two, right? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, this might just be a weird set, which is fine and cool. Like, if there's a few role players, we'll see. Then, but like, you know, 
there's always people brewing something new and making new decks or tweaking existing decks. So I don't want to, you know, uh, put a final opinion on what the set's going to do. But so far, I think it's kind of just like the huh zone. Mm-hmm. Speaking of huh, Nico Eris, uh, X white, blue, blue for legendary planeswalker Nico. When it ETBs, you make X shard tokens and shard tokens are two generic sacrifices enchantment scry one then draw a card so kind of like an interesting sort of clue type thing uh plus one up to one target creature you control can't be blocked this turn whenever that creature deals damage this turn return it to its owner's hand huh minus one nico eris deals two damage to target tapped creature for each card you've drawn this turn or another minus one is create a shard token it etbs with three loyalty that tapped word tapped is quite a bummer isn't it yeah it's it makes it much more conditional than i wish this was yeah god but it's cool i think this card is just bad Th- this card is worse than that dovin that i once said hey guys is any card worse <laughs> than dovin bond here's what i'll say so first of all this is a three cmc walker you x can be zero and it just you played for three it comes down with three loyalty and that's it but the question that always comes up on this podcast and no other magic podcast is what deck wants a azorius colored planeswalker that's also going to just send the creatures back to your hand yeah it's really strange that plus one is very very odd so i i think maybe what we're looking at is something that enables like an mdfc to kind of diy that raven effect where you know you play a cheap creature that has a powerful backside and then maybe you can flip that with Nico in a standard or limited environment, maybe. But I think this is kind of like a new experimental planeswalker that they tried to do something different with that's probably not going to make an impact in our formats. It's like a it's a build around walker. Or it's like what can I how much ETB shenanigans can I get? Like am I like am I charming princing like crazy with the plus one? Uh the minus one is interesting. Like let's say you it's pretty easy to get a couple extra draws or just one extra draw and deal four damage to something that was like tapped. But that's kind of like really relying. That, that, that makes the, the opponent not necessarily want to attack into you or that you surprise the opponent later in the game. Yeah. If you can make this card work, more power to you. But I'm not sure it does either. I think the thing that, that hurts the most is that shard. the shard token is like not very good. Yeah. Like it's a clue and that's fine, but it it's making a bunch of clues is um it takes you a while to draw all the cards off of those sometimes i mean it's so. a little better than a clue it's a two mana opt it is it's i it's just a weird card i don't know if it's good enough that people will want to build around it do you know what I mean like i think it's definitely something like someone will make a deck and i'll run into it in like the beginning of diamond or something like that or like on the open ladder and it'll do something cool and be like well that was cool their idea worked. Okay, I, I I got it. I know what this is. This is a commander card. Mm. Okay. That's just you're out for not knowing where it fits in constructed, like typical constructed. Well, for commander is a constructed format, so ha ha ha. If you say so. But seriously, I mean, they de- this is a card I think they designed for commander, and I think we're going to see more of those in this set and every set forever. And that's okay. Sure. All right, let's talk about an actual good card that I think is very likely to see some amount of constructed play. And that's old growth troll. Green, green, green. Finally, finally a card that I want to cast. Finally, a troll warrior. 
green, green, green for a 4-4 trample when OGT dies. If it was a creature, return it to the battlefield. It's an aura enchantment with enchant forest you control and enchanted forest has tap at GG. And you can also pay a single colorless to tap, sack this land, create a tapped 4-4 green troll warrior creature token with trample. Wow, Wiwa. That's a good card. This card's crazy. Like, I mean, it's okay. It's not. Is it crazy now? Or are we so star for value here that now we've gone from it being okay to being crazy? Okay. Well, it's crazy in that this is not crazy anymore, right? Like, this is just, this is a rare. <laughs> this is like a triple green rare these days. Yeah. It's crazy that we just, we pay three mana for two, four, four tramplers in 2021. Yeah. I mean, one of the issues is there's exile. Exile is more common than ever, I feel like, where there's the Wrath's Exile, the Removal frequently exiles, White has Enchantment Exile-based Removal, um, and so there's just a lot of ways to not always get the value, but there's still a lot of ways where you get a lot out of this, where even if it dies, you're getting ramp, you can eat, like that, that cost to get it back, I mean, you do have to sacrifice the land. That's not an insignificant loss there, right? But it's only one tap sacrifice the land create a four four green troll warrior creature token that's a i mean that's a lot of recursion that's some easy recursion mm-hmm. i mean you're probably playing uro exploring growth spiral anyway so i don't think you're really losing much when you sack that land and and here's the other thing three cmc i mean I, this may never happen but this can be unearthed too wow <laughs> wow that's greed i mean this is triple green this is triple green this has no shot in modern I just want to be real clear. I don't think so either. Yeah. I think that this is like, this is just a good card, but triple green makes it go into specific decks, but those green decks have been good to quite good at various times in various formats. Um, If this can find room, even like in some kind of devotion style deck, I don't think that's the case, but it does give you three green pips as a creature or as an enchantment. That's a lot of pips. Pretty good. Kind of think I like this more than Steel Leaf Champion in a green devotion beatdown strategy. That you can like imagine this on turn two off a mana dork. I think that's good. If not great. I mean, imagine a Steel Leaf Champion, that's pretty good too. Yeah, but the Steel Leaf Champion, when it dies, it's gone. This potentially can come back for more. And I know that Steel Leaf has evasion as well, you know, where you get to slam in, but also, I mean, trample is evasion. Like it's, it's not bad. Like if someone throws a token in front of this, it's not like you don't get any damage across. So I do feel like it's reasonably close to, to that card in some ways. And I feel like it's, I feel like I kind of agree with Stan. If you were thinking about playing that outside of like elf synergies or something that this could be a better replacement just because of the fall fallback. I mean, the wild thing is that when it dies, it ramps you like, yeah, that's crazy. That's a little bit of something too, that I don't think we talked about too much. So this card is, Oh yeah. Is good on rate. Like it's one of those cards that I, I don't know what else to say about it. Other than that, if there's a deck that wants it, this is good on rate. And the, the, the thing that's, I think really important too. another part of this puzzle is like, none of this is conditional. You know what I mean, like this is all stuff you want all the time. Like you want the creature. If you don't have the creature, you want the mana or the pips. Uh, you want the recursive ability to get the four four green warrior when you have enough mana to you know, warrant sacrificing the land. All the pieces work, and you don't have to work for it to be good. Yeah, yeah. I just, it doesn't have any bad lines of text. It doesn't have anything that we will treat as flavor text. It's just when it's doing its thing, it's contributing to your game plan. And if it's not doing its thing, it's maybe because it got exiled. 
which is a very real way to remove creatures in basically every format now. So that's go- that's going to happen a non-zero amount of times. But people do still just cast Eliminate. That's right. And speaking of exiling your creature, why don't we go on to our next card? Yes. So Dave, you just asked me whether or not I liked any cards in the set. That was off mic, so people might not have heard that in this in the uh, the episode. But yes, well, I did ask you that well, because they've asked me that in confidence, and I told mm-hmm. them, "Sure, I do." We're going to talk about some of them, and this is one of them. I'll read it. Why don't you read it? May I? Thank yeah. you. It's Raven Form. Two and a blue for a sorcery. Exile target artifact or creature. Its controller creates a 1-1 blue bird creature token with flying. It can also be foretold for a single blue. That's good. This, I this is the foretell card that I think control decks would want to play compared to Behold the Cosmos. Yeah, out of the sideboard as like a piece of extended kind of help. Although depends on what your control build is, right? Because white has exile effects that you have access to and has disenchant effects. And so what you're looking at is like mono blue that doesn't have access to these tools or maybe is it maybe yeah blue red exactly doesn't have access to this either it does have access to artifact but doesn't have access to exile a creature so i mean i think this card is complicated it's like flavor wise i mean i'm sure people have seen on twitter people going crazy about like the color pie kind of concerns about a card like this but it's not the first time that they've printed a card in blue that exiles a target creature. In fact, there are three other ones that I could find. Two of them were from Theros Block. One was called the Curse of the Swine. The other one was called Hour of Need. And then there was the card Reality Shift from uh, from Favor Forged. I believe Reality Shift was. Um, it's tough. Like I really think Raven. I want Raven Form to be good, but those cards don't see play now. They only hit creatures, so I think that being able to deal with artifacts is a big part of why this card has some extra potential and being able to exile artifacts is a big part of why. But um, I think it's, I think it's not quite as absurd as it looks at first glance personally. I don't feel like spells like this are typically that good. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's a, like the beast within generous gift, uh, swan song, uh, reality shift, all those kind of things never really see play because they're not that great. I mean, this, this, you have the foretell thing, which is interesting because you had to always have like this, you could always just have this sort of single blue mana sorcery sitting around waiting for you to cast it perhaps, but I don't know. You can cast it at instant speed with Teferi three. Does that make this better? Which yeah, is you, cool. You, you, you say that a lot. You really like talking about Teferi three interactions. There's just not enough sorceries that we're casting at instant speed. I feel well, let's get another card that does that and maybe has a less absurd static. Uh, yeah, but I think this card is definitely splashy. I think it's something that people are going to be trying to play with. And so you should keep an eye out for it, especially in historic and pioneer because people are going to be trying it out. Um, but I'll be curious to see if it makes it because this will be really telling about how powerful foretell is. I think generally for sure, just because the, the cost on this is so, so meager. Yeah. All right. Why don't we go to we're going to talk about two more foretell cards really quickly here we're going to talk this next one i think we should talk about fast this is called rise of the dreadmarn it's two and a black for an instant create x two two black zombie berserker creature tokens where x is the number of non-token creatures that died this turn its foretell cost is black i just felt like this one was worth throwing in the file just because it's another single mana foretell card that i think has some interesting applications but um what do you guys think about it yeah the only reason this is considerable is because of that single black mana foretell cast cost. So I do wonder whether something like this can synergize with carrion feeder in modern, where you like 
do a big combo sack turn to make a big carrying feeder. Then you pay the single black to make a bunch of two twos. They don't have haste, so you're probably not attacking with them. Although, you know, potentially you can do it this at instant speed on an opponent's turn. Yeah. The non-token puts kind of a damper on that. Like you have to make sure that you have a lot of real permanence right. out for it. But uh, I had a similar thought to what you were thinking about as far as just Rakdos sack goes as a way to do like maybe some kind of big combo turn with mayhem devil to be able to like get a bunch of stuff. And then, you know, there's a lot of sack outlets in that there's often times where you just kill, have one cat and two ovens and you kill a cat twice. And then you play this and you get two more tokens. The next turn you untap and you do something else. You know, if you do a move where you play a priest of the forgotten gods, sacrifice two non-token creatures to priest of the forgotten gods and kill one of your opponent's creatures and then play this card. That is, uh, you get three tokens off of that. So there is kind of a lot of synergies, I think, in a sack shell with this card that are possible. And the only tokens that that deck makes are those goats. Like, that's not something that you have to really play around all too often because you only have one card that makes tokens, creature tokens at least. Right. I feel like you can also look at this and be like, oh, my, my, my wrath, my sweeper, I can then rebuild like a, a crazy amount. Uh, a big army, right? And I feel like things like that have existed in the past and the setup is a lot of work and you're not necessarily like, again, paying two mana to set this up and then also get a big board of creatures that is going to result in you getting a large army of creature tokens, I think is a little ambitious and a little best case scenario type stuff. And a lot of removal right now is exile based, especially kind of the go-to black sweeper, at least in like standard and historic of, uh, extinction events right it's, mm-hmm. and that's exile it doesn't even synergize with this card because the creatures didn't die and it's not like jund is playing damnation even in in modern right now but yeah i, I think the options are perhaps more interesting and in like the sacrifice loop style decks where you're like hey i'm i'm gonna finish this turn with four more creatures than i started perhaps right and my and my cat's gonna come back as well and other stuff so mm-hmm. yeah all right next card saw it coming stan I think this is your baby. <laughs> so Fortell exiles a card face down, meaning your opponent doesn't necessarily see it coming because they don't know what you foretold. You saw the spell coming. Or nomenclature. Future. That's what I think. Yeah, so saw it coming. One blue, blue instant counter target spell. So it's it's our cancel variant, but you can foretell it for one and a blue. So then you're paying four mana for a counter spell, but you're kind of paying two mana for a counter spell. I think this card is really interesting. Um, And part of what I like about it is that its fail state is just cancel. And at a certain point, if you have nothing to do on turn two, you can just save this for later and, you know, avoid hand disruption. Or, you know, if it's later in the game, you can just hold up cancel. Or if it's so late in the game that you can foretell this and hold up another form of interaction you can maybe get a little bit of mana efficiency on a future turn beyond that and it's i mean there is a situation where this is just two mana counter spell for one in a blue and i think that's not insignificant yeah this is the first foretell spell i think we've talked about that actually the total cost is more than the upper right hand corner mm-hmm. so it's two to foretell and one and a blue to to cast it out of the foretell zone so 
in formats like historic cancel is like on the bubble, right? And so like this paying four for a cancel and two installments make it better. And I, I kind of see this as like an example of synergy with like behold the multiverse, right? Because you can bluff having either spell on two. And then your opponent is like, well, what do they have in future turns? So they have the counter spell or do you get the card draw? Like, or you you can have like saw it coming and then like a negate or essence scatter, like a slightly narrower effect. And you're like countering two spells or you can use your conditional counter that matters. Like they cast a three mana creature or a four mana creature or like a collected company. And you're like, well, I can use the one in hand that I have. And then I keep saw it coming for like this layaway counter spell on a later turn. And I can see that from like the other side being very annoyed with, with this kind of play pattern where it's like, Hey, you have a lot of options and you don't need to have as much mana as you typically would. Yeah. I love that bluff. Uh, line that you're talking about there because it almost feels like they designed the cards to do that Agreed. together like they were like oh well it wouldn't it be fun if we had a pair of cards where one was a counter spell and one was a draw two at instant speed and they both cost two and so you get to, no one's gonna know which one it is uh i think that that's pretty interesting i just i i on the one hand i feel like if this card isn't good then foretell is not good at all you know what i mean and then on the other hand i worry about paying four for a can for a counter spell and so it's just like, what are, where are these situations where we do get to pay the two to, to set it aside? It hinges so much on how often and whether that is good in any of the power level formats that we talk about hmm. on here. Time will tell. I do think, Dave, your comment that they may have been designed this way is perhaps apt because I think that's Nico on the art of both of those cards. Ah, makes sense. Nico got uh, their own Planeswalker deck, like card pack in the set. Love that. Stan, are you going to throw this right into some decks? And spend my wild cards? <laughs> I mean, they're just common. It's just common, so. It's uncommon. Oh, it is. Uh, maybe. I don't know. But maybe. I don't have any counterspell-based decks on Arena right now. Mm-hmm. So maybe we can play it in Blue Moon in Modern. All right. We, we don't have much time left, but there's a couple, two one, two, three cards that I think are really interesting that we want to talk about. Yeah, I'll do this one really quickly, okay? Next one is Spirit Blade. One and a W, Enchantment Aura, Enchant Creature. Enchanted Creature gets plus two, plus two, and it has an extra line of text that says, uh, generic and a white exile spirit blade from your graveyard return target aura or equipment card from your graveyard to your hand i think this i like this card a lot for blue white auras um i only like it in a limited quantity spirit blade is uh old translation i believe it's now called spectral steel oh oh for, much scarier for the sake of clarity thank you spectral steel okay at any rate I think it's good in a limited quantity in that deck as a way to get your kind of like, uh, if you have something stalling out to be able to get a new kind of line of stuff going again. So a lot of times what happens, of course, in auras is sure they kill your first threat that has a couple auras on it, but then you got to figure out how to rebuild. Luris is a huge part of that package, but having access to a couple of these that do it on their own as well can be helpful to get you kickstarted again, especially if you can do something like pull out a curious obsession i put it on a um you know onto a core spirit dancer and kind of go back to work getting a couple cards out of it that can be really good 
I wouldn't play this as a four of because the effect that it has itself is not very good. You know, all the cards in spirits either do lifelink, draw a card, or grant evasion, and this doesn't do any of those. It just makes your guy bigger. So it really is just about having a little bit of grind added to that deck. Aren't you getting that same grind from Luris, though? You do, but Luris takes setup, right? And you only have one of them, and in blue-white, you have no way to bring it back. So if you have a line where you play Luris, and then they kill Luris, and you know if that plan doesn't fail, then this is another backup plan. And so... That's why I would say it's only it's a limited quantity, but still an interesting card. Okay, this might be the last card we have time to talk about today. I'm just going to volunteer to read it. It's Valky, God of Lies. One in a black for a legendary creature god. It's a 2-1. When Valky ETBs, each op- opponent reveals their card. For each opponent, exile a creature card. They reveal this way until Valky leaves the battlefield. I, I may have misread that. Each opponent reveals their hand. Right. Yeah. And then it has X, choose a creature card, exiled with Valky, with CMC X, Valky becomes a copy of that card. And then you can turn this card over, take it out of the sleeve, turn it over, put it back in the sleeve. It's Tybalt, Cosmic Imposter, which is five black red for uh, Planeswalker Tybalt, comes down with five loyalty counters. It has a static. As Tybalt enters the battlefield, you get an emblem with, you may play cards, exiled with Tybalt, and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast these spells. Plus two, exile the top card of each player's library. Minus three, exile target artifact or creature. Minus eight, exile all cards from all graveyards. Add red, red, red. Whew, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot of text on these two cards. Well, it's really reading two cards, right? So I think this is another card where I was kind of talking about that you know, assessment you're going to have to make where is it worth it to cast the two mana side when you can sometimes potentially cheat in the seven mana side because this is a bring to light target. This is a blood braid elf cascade target too, or, you know, any cascade spell. Stan, can you describe uh, to the listeners, of course, not to me, um, how does bring to light work with a spell to get Tybalt in? So I think you can bring to light for two to get the tar- to get the Valky and then just put Tybalt into play. That seems like a cheat. That's a sneak. A little bit. Right. Because with Bring to Light... I mean, so is, you're, you're, so is Bloodbraid Elf, right? Yeah. Similar thing. So I guess you're paying five mana for a seven mana ability, but at least with Bring to Light, you know, if you have two colors, which you have to for, you know, Bring to Light, which is three blue-green, you can just get the... Like you don't have to splash an extra color to be able to to fetch Valky. All right, you want to talk? Let's talk about the front side. Yeah, let's talk about let's talk about Valky Vartakamus, my favorite my favorite cousin from the Isle of Mepos and cousin Tybalt. Yeah, and cousin Tybalt. Okay, cousin Tybalt. I think uh, Valky is a strong card in itself. It does like a, like the sort of like kite sail freebooter impression on creatures. Like it lets you. You're pretty you're pretty quickly able to cast that card yourself probably um, gets you some like selective card advantage potentially, or you just strip their important sort of creature combo threat or something like that uh, from their hand. Um, I think most decks in historic pioneer modern are playing some kind of creatures. So you're likely to get something with the ETB. I think that's pretty good. And a lot of creatures don't cost that much anymore. So you're probably going to be able to, cast it if uh, valky stays on the board at all 
So here's an interesting rules interaction. If you pay that X to to make Valky a copy of a creature, it's no longer Valky. Meaning, if let's say it's uh, it becomes an Uro, which is a, a pretty popular creature these days in a lot of formats, and they destroy the Uro, they don't get Uro back. It stays in exile because Valky's not dying. Uro is. Hmm. Yeah, that's the weirdest part about this is that you can kind of convert it into permanently getting rid of it, I think, which is pretty cool. Uh, it takes you being able to activate the ability, but but nice. And you never you, you can never change him again, yeah. but that's okay, too. I mean, it's a two-mana clone, basically, then that you pay for in installments. So maybe this goes in a Gyruda deck? <laughs> Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I've never, Big eyes I've for never that. I'm not sure. Dave so inspired by anything I've said. <laughs> All right, so why don't we talk about the other side of the card, the Tybalt itself. So if you, so that's a fail, quote unquote fail state, right? Like people can, you can get that into play. Like Shane said, you can take a creature away from them. You can maybe make a better creature than than Valky. Tybalt, on the other hand, for seven mana is really weird. You know, I, I do think that it's interesting that if you manage to get it out, you can plus it to get a card, essentially right away um you can play lands off of the off of tybalt as well which i think is important with a card like this so that you have that kind of extra extra access so if you steal a land from your opponent you can do it but and it's a plus two so tybalt's a big planeswalker might be hard to kill with damage depending on the scenario but um i think it's complicated i'm not sure that it's anything more than like a like if you're really gonna go this way, I'm not sure if it's anything more than like a spicy one or two of in a in a package that tries to cheat it out. But um, because you really don't want to try to cast the backside of this, I don't think in many scenarios, even if the front side is pretty good. I agree. I do worry if this is another case of the Hogak scenario where I think they print designed this with Commander in mind somewhat, since when it ETBs, each opponent reveals their hand. So, you know, in a pot of four. That's a lot of exiled cards. And and what I'm getting at is, you know, Hogak was this card designed for Commander, ended up being way too broken for Modern. Maybe this is subtle enough that we're kind of not seeing how apparently broken it is, and then it ends up being insanely busted for that regard. Because, I mean, I think Tybalt coming down with five loyalty and you could tick it up to seven makes it pretty hard to kill with anything short of destroy target Planeswalker. Yeah, like this will stay on the board. For sure. And it's like, it's a lot of card advantage, right? It's kind of weird. And it's like, well, do I really care about I'm getting my, my opponent's cards like in less in lower powered form. Again, I think I said this at other kind of reviews. It's like, I think in, it's actually worse in modern than it is in other formats because you're like, you're getting stuff that's more synergistic for like the modern deck. And I think in the other powered, lower powered formats, you're just getting like, okay, here's a good creature. Mm Mm-hmm. Or here's like a good spell or a good planeswalker or something like that. Uh, not to say it can't happen in modern, but it's like my my question for this is like, is this is this worth seven mana? And like, when are you getting seven mana to cast this? Like, if you're not cheating it. Well, well, I think the point is you're never casting it for seven mana. Yeah, like maybe one out of twenty times, right? Like, okay. Otherwise, you're just dumping it for two. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a really weird. It's just like yet another on a list of like here's a weird card. Is is this gonna work? Let's, we'll find out. Let's see. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna craft it. We didn't <laughs> test this. Not yet. 
I mean, I do have right. excess mythic wild cards. You're just going to craft this and have it hang out in your in your binder? It's going to be like, ah, ha, 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 it's me. I was here the whole time, Tybalt. <laughs> they should let you use a, they should like have a secret trick where you can use a common wild card for this. It's like, it was me hiding in this pile of common wild cards this whole time. Oh, man. I wonder what the arena animation is going to be for the Valky and or Tybalt. It'll side. be bad. It's going to be so bad. I love your Tybalt voice, though. I hope that they use it for that. That's, kind of, that's basically, I think, Wario. We should start yeah. doing <laughs> DIY voice acting and just tweeting it at Blake or anyone over at Watsy staff that reads tweets. I think we're out of time, Stan. I think you got to take us out of here. Thankfully, we have a whole nother week for this. Any parting thoughts that you guys are dying to share that we didn't get to say? Not spe- That's weird. Not, not anything related to specific cards, but what's on your mind? I, I don't think there's a lot of cards here that I feel like have a home in modern yet. I'll tell you that. That's the main the main thing that I feel right now. I think there's a lot of stuff that's like a maybe for different decks that I see in historic. But um, I, I haven't seen a card that I really... And maybe that's fine. You know, we've had a lot of upheaval in modern over the last year, certainly over a number of the sets that came out in 2020. So maybe here we are snow covered duels are the biggest thing for uh for modern right now yeah and you know what we don't have to be right it's just fun talking about new cards and imagining and, and evaluating and um i mean i think now's as good a time as ever but uh you guys remember in episode one a little over two years ago when uh i was like guys i think uh Kaldheim's gonna have snow covered lands <laughs> is that what is that what you said that's what i said that's true wow whenever huh. i listen to the early episodes i just i listen to our like horrible pacing and like weird pausing that's what i hear i don't hear our actual words and that wraps up this week's show if you haven't yet make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out also if you use apple Podcasts or spotify please leave us a rating and review if you'd like to submit a question to the podcast pick our brain on something in magic the gathering you can tweet us at the dive down all one word or email the dive down at gmail.com if you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon over at patreon.com slash the dive down. You can also support the show by signing up for Mana Traders using promo code the dive down, all one word. You'll get 15% off your first three months of renting Magic Online cards via Mana Traders. If you play Magic Arena, you can support the dive down without spending any money by using our affiliate link to download the free deck tracking software over at untapped.thedivedown.com. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and buy new cards!